Freedom Hut. Trump wins the debate, but was it enough? Biden wants to end oil. Lieutenant Bobolinsky holds a press conference, and our lockdown battle for freedom continues. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends. Day after the final debate, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to be here with you. And I got to tell you, things are a little bit more tranquil than I think any of us would have expected at this phase of this political race. Maybe the left really did exhaust itself a little bit this summer with the riots and the mayhem and the looting and the arson and all the stuff that they were doing, right? Maybe they got that out of their systems. And, you know, I'm just going to say it. It's not as fun to break into a, a shoe store or go steal some designer clothing in the name of social justice when it's dropping down into the 50s and then into the 40s. You know, when it gets cold outside, marching in the street, you know, you need the marchers there to make it seem like a mostly peaceful protest. Marchers don't want to be cold. They, they like it when it's 75 with a, with a, you know, a gentle breeze. That's when you really want to do the social justice stuff. You don't want to do it when you got to all of a sudden start thinking about wearing some mittens. So they maybe got a little bit uh, ahead of themselves, used a little bit more of their energy then. But I also have a new a new theory about this, which is that they realize the Democrats have the word has gotten out. And you saw this with the ACB hearings. You saw this uh, with the way they've been responding to Trump recently. They can't act like total psychopaths right now. I mean, they can suppress. They can lie. They can do all the things they're doing, clearly, in the media in particular. But the really the, the visceral, obvious, viral video Biden supporters acting like barbarians, that stuff is not a good look in a general election. One thing to get the base all fired up in the election year, but it's not a good look for people who actually want to win uh, those independent voters and that that small slice of the pie that's going to determine who's the president for the next four years. So my theory is this. They're lying in wait right now a little bit. They're being a little bit more uh, coy than perhaps we had anticipated. Uh, but if Trump wins this election and there's already some early indicators, this is the case, then the insanity gets dialed all the way back up to 11. Then the insanity is unleashed. That's been building up right now because there are still all the left wing crazies out there. They're just lying in wait. They've been told by the people who write the paychecks for the placards and the U-Hauls that deliver the social justice materials and anti-cop weaponry uh, that shows up at these protests. They've been told, hey, guys, we got to fool enough well-intentioned people in a handful of battleground states so that we can be in power and then you can run wild and no one's going to stop you. But for right now, cool it, calm down. I think that's what we're seeing because ACB hearings, pretty quiet. Uh, What we've seen in response to Trump lately on the streets, at least I'm talking about the activism. I'm talking about the really extreme actions that the left was taking all summer. I mean, from May, June, July, August, This country was in the grip of a left wing terror. 
And then suddenly in September, it started to fade out. And then we get into October, and all of a sudden, like I said, it's colder. But they've realized they're not helping their buddy Joe Biden. There's only so much he can do to hide the actions of his base if they're going wild right before people are casting. And as we know, tens of millions have already voted. So that brings me then to the actual debate last night. I want to focus on the parts of it that I think are the most important for all of us between now and the actual election. Um, Yes, Trump won. And I appreciated that when I said Trump won on Twitter, the president retweeted it. So then, of course, my timeline on Twitter was full of all kinds of of madness. But the president agrees with me that I agree with others that he did win that debate. And this was more of the Trump that I had expected to show up at the, the, the first time around. He was completely calm, cool and collected. He was in control of the facts. He was in his in his way, in a Trumpian way, very presidential. Uh, he was a guy that you feel like in the boardroom, if you had a dozen people gathered together in some fancy corporate office having a big meeting, he's the guy that everybody's going to be looking to and listening to. That's his demeanor. That That's his and the two he is. Biden was just kind of a, a a feeble mess. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was reasonably coherent with the usual talking points. There was uh, nothing particularly compelling about any of the stuff that he said. We had really heard it all before. Uh, but seeing these two candidates on stage, Trump just has much greater magnetism, charisma, vitality. It's just not comparable. And if we weren't having this election, and, and this was what really just ran through my mind last night as I was watching it live, if we weren't having this election in a bizarre year of COVID, Trump would win every state he won in 2016, plus three or four additional states. Definitely would, would pick up uh, New Hampshire. You know, Trump would win. I think he'd have a shot at Minnesota. He would win states that he didn't win the last time. But because of COVID and what the country's going through, I've been correct. I think we'll see. But my assessment all along is this is going to be a very tight race. And yes, the Electoral College, no one can really guess exactly how that's going to shake out. But we know that it's going to be a small number of votes in a small number of states that determine this thing. All the polls, all the numbers show us that. So this is going to be a fight to the finish. Was what Trump did last night on stage enough to move the needle? The truth is no one will really ever know. He did not get a knockout blow against Biden. There was no moment you watched that and you said, oh, you know, Biden's finished. And given what's happened with the Hunter Biden revelations this week, I do think there was that possibility. I think that there was a realistic chance that Biden was going to get so tripped up and it was going to be such a mess up there that it would have cost him in the general in a way that we could really we could trace. We could go from point A to point B. Didn't happen. In fact, one of the biggest uh, surprises last night was that there was not a single moment of real um, of real challenge to Biden on the Hunter Biden stuff to Joe Biden on the Hunter Biden stuff. He managed to skate past it. Now, I don't want to spend much time talking about the moderator. If you read my Twitter timeline, you'll see how I feel. I thought she was fine. She was fine for 15 minutes. And then for the next 15 minutes, it started to get a little bit. Wait, why are you only interrupting Trump? And she really did only interrupt Trump. I think there were two or three interruptions of Biden answers the whole night. And then and then she asked some questions that I found really distasteful and biased, like, 
I forget the, what exactly the verbiage was, but, you know, hey, Trump, you're a racist, right? So why are you a racist or why are you not one? Um, and then the climate change question, which I'll get to that in a bit. This is just journos have to do this to prove how smart and serious they are. They have to ask about climate change, which if you even look at the, the polling year in and year out, it's like the 20th most important issue to the American people overall when they when they list out all these issues. I mean, it's it's really, uh, you know, a, a minor it starts to get up there with like the eliminating the carried interest loophole or something. I mean, yeah, some people care, but anyway. So there was no knockout blow against Biden. There was one moment where I think he created a real vulnerability for himself, and that has to do with oil, and we'll get to that. But I, I just I saw last night as an opportunity for people to get one more glimpse of really what we already know about these two guys, who they are. Donald Trump is not a politician. Sometimes he can be uh, a little bit unpredictable, to put it mildly. And he has his own way of doing things. But the guy is is a fierce fighter. He's got a tremendous amount of of uh, leadership quality and a tremendous amount of magnetism, uh, you know, personal charisma. And he's done a good job for four years. They can say that he's been awful on COVID all they want, but those are just talking points. He's done a good job. Joe Biden is essentially the classic. I mean, the quintessential completely replaceable and, uh, you know, duplicative Democrat politician. Joe Biden reminds me of a whole bunch of other guys. I mean, you know, you could you could switch out Joe Biden with Senator Murphy from Connecticut or, you know, uh, Blumenthal. I mean, two Connecticut guys up there, you know, you switch out Joe Biden with any number of, you know, but the only difference is Biden's been in the game much, much longer. But just another Democrat, nothing special, nothing powerful. And has that whole old school, you know, hey, you know, I'm just I'm just your friend sitting at your kitchen table and I'm from Delaware. And sometimes my my voice starts to almost get a little folksy, like I'm maybe from the south, but I'm I'm really from Delaware, man. Hey, man, you know, and I kind of throw in these phrases to make it seem like I'm just one of the people. And, you know, it's it's also staged and phony and. It's worked for this guy, though, for a long time. There's a reason why cliches are cliches. It's because people use them because they often work and they're useful. Uh, but that's what you got last night with Joe Biden. I mean, there's nothing. There's no vision. There's no there's no reason to vote for Joe Biden other than he's a Democrat who is not Donald Trump. So that's it. I mean, that was the choice you saw on stage last night. Now let's dive into who threw a punch where on what. How much it matters. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Look, all he does is talk about shutdowns, but forget about him. His Democrat governors, Cuomo in New York. You look at what's going on in California. You look at Pennsylvania, North Carolina. Democrats, Democrats all, they're shut down so tight and they're dying. They're dying. And he supports all these people. All he talks about is shutdowns. No, we're not going to shut down and we have to open our schools. We do have to open our schools. Trump's right about that. The science backs him up on that. Democrats have allowed schools to remain shut down, have, have made sure, have demanded that schools stay shut down because they think it's in their political interest. But I think this is one of the strongest areas for Trump last night. And as you know, I'm I don't care when, when anybody with the polls say or anything else. 
shutdowns and the restoration of normal life from this covid new normal they're trying to enforce on us of being scared of each other, separate from each other, masking up all the time. This is the most important issue in the country right now, bar none. And Biden tried the usual last night of blaming Trump for everything that's happened during COVID. He tried the usual, oh, 200,000 deaths are Trump's responsibility. How many deaths would there be if Joe Biden was in charge? And what would be acceptable? This issue has just been so ripe for demagoguery all along, and Democrats have exploited it at, at every opportunity. That has been their approach, which I know is completely unsurprising, but we should at least see this for what it is. The president listened to the experts. He did what they wanted him to do at every phase. And he's now allowed the states to deal with this in a state by state fashion, which is in keeping with common sense and with the law. Mind you, a lot of places are using what are effectively police powers and uh, to create a they've got a state of emergency and they're using police powers under the state of emergency to, uh, to quarantine an entire population at different levels. And it's kind of a few layers all, all coming together. That's not something the federal government should do. Think about what the Democrats are really arguing for here. Why should Montana, where I was uh, for a bit this summer in August, why should Montana have the same policies about COVID that New York City has? That makes no sense whatsoever. But then again, you take this a little bit further and you say, why should 25 year olds have the same approach to covid as 75 year olds? That also makes no sense. And people say, oh, but the 25 year olds give it to the 70. No, you know, if you're going to be in contact, it is, in fact, entirely possible for people to live much of their life without being in direct, sustained contact with people who are at high risk. That is very possible. But Trump made his case on this last night. And it was what we needed to hear. He said, this is what I've done. This is where we're going. We got vaccines coming. We're putting out the fires one by one as they come up with the increase in cases. Now, I'm going to continue to make this argument. But, you know, New York has still very low cases. And my, the only thing that makes sense to me, and it doesn't mean we're not going to have any more cases. Of course, we have cases day in and day out. But we're not going to see a huge spike because it burned through the city so quickly and so viciously that there's a lot of built up immunity and that the most susceptible people to covid, many of them, a large number of them already got it and many of them tragically already died from it. So I don't think it's going to happen. And, you know, and, and we're going to test this out. They're going to say it's because of masking. We masked during the shutdown in March and April, and the virus was still ripping through the city, ripping through the tri, uh, tri state area here. So we'll test that out. I'll, I'll return to that. What is Biden what does he say? I mean, he keeps talking about how Trump is somehow responsible for the virus and for the shutdowns and Biden saying he's going to make things better, but he's going to make things better by shutting us down. So it doesn't make any sense. There's there's an incoherence to the Democrat position on all of this. And really, all they have to say is mask, mask, mask. And I remember when just a few months ago, all they had to say was testing, testing, testing. Remember that with Nancy Pelosi? Test, testing. You got to test, test and trace. And a lot of us said, well, hold on. When a virus has gotten to this level of spread already in society, you, you know, you're not going to be able to trace it at all. And when you're testing a lot, 
you're just going to end up finding a lot of low level unimportant cases because you're not just testing people to go to the hospital. Now you're going to test all over the place. Somebody has a sniffle. Oh, I got to go to the corner and get a covid test. Remember when testing was supposed to be the thing that saved us from this? Now we test all the time. Now it's masks. It was washing hands in the beginning. You remember that? That there was a time I have not forgotten when the exhortations for the public to wash their hands were the single loudest thing that was being said by Fauci and the gang in the early days. They believe that that was really how we were getting it. It wasn't even airborne or aerosolized the way that we have now come to believe it is. Biden wants you masking up all the time. Play 12. 220,000 Americans dead. You hear nothing else I say tonight. Hear this. Anyone who's responsible for not taking control. In fact, not saying I'm, I take no responsibility initially. Anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. We're in a situation where there are a thousand deaths a day now, a thousand deaths a day. And there are over 70,000 new cases per day. Compared to what's going on in Europe, as the New England Medical Journal said, they're starting from a very low rate. We're starting from a very high rate. The expectation is we'll have another 200,000 Americans dead between now and the end of the year. If we just wore these masks, the president's own advisors have told him, we could save 100,000 lives. And we're in a circumstance where the president thus far and still has no plan, no comprehensive plan. What I would do is make sure we have everyone encouraged to wear a mask all the time. That's their plan. Yell at everybody to wear masks, mask shaming. They think that will stop this. This is delusional. The data does not support this. Even if masking works at some level, and I'm sure it does help at some level for sure. I mean, I I believe that it does. But to stop this? No. I mean, who knows? 10%, 20% reduction in cases over a period of over a period of time, but it's not even clear that that reduction protects those, you know, that, that those people don't get infected just outside the time frame you're looking at for the study. You're, sen- you're essentially delaying the spread of a virus that is spreading all throughout the population. But mask up all the time. That's the Biden plan. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's dive into what really is going to matter from the debate, if anything. Not clear. I mean, you'll never really be able to know. People talk about moving the needle and knockout punches and all these. And look, it's impossible to avoid the cliches. I'm not going to lie to you. We people that do this for a living and you analyze these things, you try to come up with new ways of saying it. But there's a reason why we end up sounding like each other a lot on this. There's only so much you can say about a debate in terms of the analogies and stuff. But here's what I think is going to matter. Pennsylvania is a state where fossil fuels, oil, fracking matters a lot. Still part of the industry there. And Pennsylvania is a critical state for whichever candidate is going to end up being president of the United States. And Biden's got a problem here because that's going to be a little bit like when Hillary Clinton went to West Virginia and she and she said, Well, if you work in the coal industry, get a new job, something like that. It was something along those lines that she said. She basically told people that they were on their own. If you work in the coal industry, we're going to have to, you know, learn to code or train you in something else. That did not go over well for Hillary in West Virginia, as you may recall. 
or in the rest of the campaign, because then she tried to walk it back and, you know, a moment of honesty that that would haunt her. And of course, any real moment of honesty haunts a Clinton. They hate that. It's like garlic for a vampire. But last night, Trump with Biden had this exchange about fracking and oil. Play 16. And, and what about fracking? All right, now, let me, now let me, have, have, let me allow fracking. Vice President I Biden to have respond. I never said I oppose fracking. You said it I, on the tape. I did show the tape. Put it on your website. I'll put it on. Put it on the website. Okay. Ask and ye shall receive, Joe Biden. Trump did, in fact, put it on the website. You, you want to hear whether, whether Joe Biden has a problem with fracking or not? He's like, yeah, let's see what you got, buddy. Give me your best shot. This is like the guy that says, give me your best shot. And then he gets knocked out cold in the bar from the guy who gives him his best shot. Play 17. Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking in a Biden administration? No, it would be, we would we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated and no more subsidies for either one of those. I guarantee you. We're going to end fossil fuel. No more, no new fracking. I gradually move away from fracking. And I think it's critically important on day one that we end any fossil fuel leases on public lands. Oh, well, like, what about, say, stopping fracking and stopping yeah. pipeline infrastructure? Yeah. And, pipeline. And, 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 and they, they want to do the same thing I want to do. They want to phase out fossil fuels, and we're going to phase out fossil fuels. There's no question I'm in favor of banning fracking. Now, it's, it's hard to really cover this without going very very deep into the the details um but this is a this is a religious belief for the left i mean not just the climate change issue which we'll get to but specifically fracking i mean they really think that fracking is is evil and in reality fracking is the reason that the united states in many ways has been in such an, an a place of unparalleled energy and economic dominance for the last 10 or 15 years. It was hugely helpful to us after the financial downturn. And the technology has been around since the 1940s, right? You inject liquid, 99% water and sand, a tiny amount of lubricant chemicals into shale formations, right? That creates small fractures, which allows the extraction of oil or natural gas from the sites where the oil derrick and well had been removed. But, there's been an expanded utilization of this. You get more than 90 percent. OK, listen to me on this one. Ninety percent of American oil and gas wells currently in use are hydraulically uh, hydraulically uh, fractured. And America is now a global energy superpower because of it. Now, this is so noteworthy in many ways because it reminds me of the discussion we're having now about experts and science. Remember all the talk about peak oil? We used to be told that we were going to reach peak oil, you know, in the right around now, actually. I mean, we were worried about peak oil stretching back for decades. And geopolitical strategists became obsessed with this in America. And we, in fact, even made national security decisions based upon our access to oil because we were so worried we were going to run out. But. That meant that we cared too much about Middle Eastern dictatorships and the whole Mideast region. Why did we find ourselves there? Because of the energy. Because of what it did to the global energy markets. What was Iran's big trump card, pardon the phrase, so to speak, 
when we started to have more and more problems with, well, we've had problems with them since 1979, but when things started to ratchet up in recent years, it was always they could shut down the Straits of Hormuz, shut down the global energy uh, market. 25% of oil uh, goes through the Straits, uh, Straits of Hormuz, so that was going to be a big problem. Oil was over $100 a barrel, my friends, in 2011. Go back 10 years. This technology has been incredible, but people absolutely love on the left. They love to treat it like it's some kind of a monster and Biden can't get away with it. Biden can't bring himself to say, you know what? This whole anti oil thing that we've got is lunacy. The cheap price of energy and the frack, uh, the fracking that allows that to be the case and the domestic supply that we now have results in uh, cheaper, better, faster, everything in the economy around you. The room you are in is better climate controlled. The food that you are eating is more uh, efficiently grown and brought to you and stored. All of this because of fossil fuels, this obsession with solar and windmills is lunacy. But the Democrat Party is absolutely devoted to it, and they just don't care. In fact, Joe Biden starts out now. This is the thing you have to say. Climate change is an existential threat. It is absolutely not an existential threat, and it's a silly, embarrassing thing to say. But that's, that's now a, a thing that you must say to be a Democrat who's in good standing with his own side. You're not allowed to say anything else about it. In fact, they'll laugh at you. They'll think there's something wrong with you. And then that brings me to my problem with the question last night about not just a question about it, that the climate change in these debates is always a segment unto itself. It's always a section. We're going to have a, a part of the debate on climate change. Why? Why? This is this is dumb. This is dumb. And I know people. Oh, my gosh, you're such a. Yeah. Who wants to place bets? That's, I think, the only way that we can start to really. Uh, we can start to really see people stop this nonsense is if we created an exchange where you could place bets, the climate catastrophist can say what's going to happen. You know, so so, for example, the movie An Inconvenient Truth, you look at Florida underwater by the year 2030. All right, I'll, I'll put I'll put, uh, you know, 10 grand right now on Florida's not going to be underwater in 10 years. Who wants to take that bet? Right. That would be. That would be the only way that you'd start to see people have to back off this nonsense where they were demonstrably wrong and suffer for being wrong, because what you have now is they're wrong every 10 years. But every 10 years, they change the prediction for the next 10 years. And that's what we're supposed to focus on. Oh, we didn't get it right the last time, but we'll get it right this time. And this this extends even to covid and to the covid lockdowns. You've got uh, you've got Trump pointing out that Fauci is a guy who we're supposed to listen to about everything. This guy's been wrong tons of times. This is from the debate last night. Play 11. This week, you called Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's best-known infectious disease expert, quote, a disaster. You described him and other medical experts as, quote, idiots. If you're not listening to them, who are you listening to? Let, let me, like this? I'm listening to all of them, including Anthony. I get along very well with Anthony. But he did say, don't wear masks. He did say, as you know, this is not going to be a problem. Uh, I think he's a Democrat, but that's OK. He said this is not going to be a problem. We are not going to have a problem at all. When Joe says that I said 
Anthony Fauci said, and others, and many others, and I'm not knocking him a lot. Nobody knew. Look, nobody knew what this thing was. Nobody knew where it was coming from, what it was. We've learned a lot. But Anthony said, don't wear masks. Now he wants to wear masks. Anthony also said, if you look back, exact words, here's his exact words. This is no problem. This is going to go away soon. So he's allowed to make mistakes. He happens to be a good person. Why is it such a problem to point out that Fauci has been wrong many times during this? Isn't that just speaking truth? The guy's been wrong a lot. A lot of people have been wrong a lot. But here's the point. Fauci is given a dispensation from the lib media because he's a catastrophist and he just always gives you the most negative interpretation and doesn't care. You know, the the economic damage that's going on in the country, the ruined lives, the drug abuse. He's just, you know, that's not as bad. It's not as big a deal as this disease. Wear a mask, right? This is all we ever hear from this guy. And the libs like it because he's a useful he's a useful tool with which they can try to bludgeon the Trump campaign, which is what they've been doing. But he's been wrong and they they forgive him entirely. In fact, they forbid you from even addressing the fact that he has been wrong. Meanwhile, Trump, if he said back in March, look, I think it's going to fade out by the summer. or Look, I think we're going to beat this thing soon or whatever Trumpian thing he said. He's a mass murderer because of that. So Fauci, who's an infectious disease expert, can tell everybody and be given this unbelievable authority to basically make policy for the whole country. He could say, don't wear a mask. And all the people that didn't wear masks because of that, that's all forgiven and forgotten. But Trump says, I think this is going to go away. Don't worry about it that much. And he's a monster and a murderer. That's why this matters, because they have no standard that they're applying. Fauci is great. Trump is awful. Based on what? Based on orange man bad. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Having a good relationship with leaders of other countries is a good thing. We have a lot of questions to get to. I understand we had a good relationship with Hitler before he, in fact, invaded Europe, the rest of Europe. Come on. The reason he would not meet with President Obama is because President Obama said, we're going to talk about denuclearization. We're not going to legitimize you. We're going to continue to put stronger and stronger sanctions on you. That's why he wouldn't meet with us. There's Biden, the historian for you. We had a good relationship with Hitler before he invaded Europe. Mm, No, not true, but okay. Biden trying to be clever is a, a risky thing for everybody. It, it's not, not something that's going to go well, as we've seen so many times in the past. Uh, but on foreign policy, the truth is you line up and there was no real discussion of it last night other than a couple of brief moments. We just played one of them for you. You line up what Trump has done in his first four years and what the Obama team did in their first four years. And just Trump. Trump is better. It's just better for America. He's got things to show for his time in office that matter. He's got peace deals. He's got trade deals. The USMCA trade deal. He's taken on China in a way that was desperately needed and previous administrations wouldn't do it. So let's just say I will dispense with this for now. But there's really no comparison. Trump is better on foreign policy than his predecessors, uh, than his predecessors going back even into the Bush administration. So. There you have that. And now you've also got some other issues that came up like uh, um, health care and immigration. And he, this was so interesting because you remember the 
big push in the early days of the Democrat primary. Doesn't that feel like it was a different lifetime now? That Democrat primary, the polling was supposed to show that Americans all wanted Medicare for all. And it was very dishonest because the way they would do the polling is, do you want Medicare for all? Well, that's like saying to me, you know, do I want to eat a lot of chocolate cake every night? I mean, the answer is, of course, yes. But what about the downside of being able to fit into my clothing? What about the downside of losing your private health care? Because with Medicare for all, you will lose your private health care plan. And now you're at the mercy of the state. Now they determine what doctors you see, where you can go and all the rest of it. So that's why that poll about, oh, would you like Medicare for all? It's like, yes. Would you like something that's free and we don't tell you what the cost is? Sure. The moment people realize the cost, they go, hmm, not so into it. So Biden moved away from that because I do think the Democrats were at least politically savvy enough to figure out that going into an election where you're promising to take away the private health care plans of 130 million people was a very bad idea. So what does uh, blue collar Joe have in store for us if he becomes president? That's not Medicare for all. What's what's the the uh, the, the big what we're going to get? Well, play seven. What I'm going to do is pass Obamacare with a public option become Biden care. The public option is an option that says that if you, in fact, do not have the wherewithal to be if you qualify for Medicaid and you do not have the wherewithal in your state to get Medicaid, you automatically are enrolled, providing competition for insurance companies. That's what's going to happen. Secondly, we're going to make sure we reduce the premiums and reduce drug prices by making sure that there's competition that doesn't exist now by allowing the Medicare to negotiate drug prices with the insurance companies. Thirdly, the idea that I want to eliminate private insurance, the reason why I had such a fight for with 20 candidates for the nomination was I support private insurance. That's why I didn't not one single person with private insurance would lose their insurance under my plan, nor did they under Obamacare. That's a huge lie. I, I just I really wanted you to hear that whole thing. So you could hear Joe Biden. You know, he's clearly laying this out the way that he was trained to in his many days of basement hiding debate prep. But this is a a a jaw-dropping lie. In fact, we've already established this because it was considered the, I think it was either Politico or PolitiFact or Washington Post Pinocchio lie of the year during the Obama administration when Obama said, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. Joe Biden just repeated that lie last night. Total lie. Millions of people lost their plans, and some of them, a large portion of them, were uh, were forced to take on crappier plans that they paid more for in the individual market because they make enough money that they're considered a subsidizer of other people in the individual market that Obamacare forced them into with were subsidizees. That's what ended up happening. But there's a bigger point here about healthcare that I want to make, and that is uh, what happens when you set up a public option and what that really means, because Friends, this is just progressive incrementalism all over again. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Healthcare is the area where Democrats think they have the biggest advantage over Republicans. In fact, I've spoken to Democrats, including people who are, 
campaign consultants and other folks I know from inside the swampy beltway in D.C., and they will tell you that it was largely health care, they believe, and public perception about health care that led them to a pretty substantial victory in the midterm elections for the House. That was the favorite, the, the favorite issue for those consultants to get Democrats elected. And part of the issue that we have to keep dealing with here is that Democrats have two things going for them. Fear and short term versus long term when it comes to health care. Fear, of course, that everyone uh, is going to be thrown You know, everyone's going to get pre-existing conditions and that they won't have coverage if they don't have Obamacare. The world's falling apart. This is all nonsense. Does anyone really feel like the country's markedly different since the passage of Obamacare when it comes to health care? You've got more people on Medicaid, a lot more, millions more. OK, fine. That's a welfare program. And you have an individual market with a lot of high deductible, pretty small network, crappy healthcare plans. And that's it. And an individual mandate that's supposed to financially buttress this whole thing. But that's now been taken away by the Trump administration. No, look, I understand this is not, you know, we'll talk about the Borat movie and Giuliani and stuff later to get a little more spice into the show. Because I know this, this can feel a little bit like schoolroom stuff, but this matters. Matters to you, matters to me. I mean, producer Mark and I are about to be choosing our health care plans here coming up. I'm sure other people are in that. Uh, what do they call it when you're doing the you're choosing the health care? The period open you know enrollment. I mean? Thank you. Thank you. Open enrollment. You know, we're going to open enrollment and you look at these plans and somehow it feels like every year plan gets more expensive. Health care options get worse. And I don't mean that for any particular company. I just mean every year, though, those are the mandates that you see with Obamacare. Those are the mandates you see from the government. Right. It's somehow healthcare keeps getting more expensive and your access to health care is in many ways getting worse. Why is that going on? Well, it's because when when Joe Biden talks about the market, he doesn't really understand what a real market is. A market is individuals making choices based upon price. Right. That's how market actually works. you provide services and people consume services. And it's the free exchange thereof with price as the signal for what they want to do, what they don't want to do. We like to try to pretend that there should be no price in any of this, that you just get whatever you get. But that fails. And when I say we, I mean the Democrats and the people that are pushing this, that fails to take into account that it is, in fact, the case that health care is a limited good. Now, that doesn't mean we can't provide some form of health care from everyone. We obviously have emergency rooms where you must treat people no matter what. And but not everybody's going to get to see the most uh, you know, reputable heart surgeon in the world. That's just there's just not enough. Not everyone's going to get to see the, you know, the top LASIK uh, eye surgery doctor or whatever. Just not going to happen. Right. There are market forces at work in this. And what the government keeps doing is saying, let's just subsidize things more. Let's make more decisions for people and then subsidize it more with taxpayer dollars. That's not a market. That's the government. That's central planning. This is the central failure of socialism at work. So that's what they are doing. And when they talk about setting up a public option, that will essentially turn into Medicaid on steroids. Right. Why isn't Medicaid sufficient right now? Why isn't everyone saying, well, you know, it's well, you have to only make a certain income to qualify for Medicaid. But the people on Medicaid generally don't have very good health outcomes. Why is that? Well, because for the program to even be a little bit solvent and it's the main drag on state budgets in places like New York and New Jersey and, and Illinois, Medicaid, public sector pensions. That's why people's property taxes keep going up. Those are the drags on state budgets. 
Medicaid, I think in the case of New York, is by far the biggest one. All right, well, then why Medicaid is very expensive to the state, to the taxpayer, but doesn't have very good outcomes. Why is that? Well, because they even at the level that they're currently providing Medicaid services, they have a lot of doctors that won't take it. And in fact, Medicare doesn't even I know people love Medicare who have it. And it's a very popular program. But it's because what it effectively does is it's a intergenerational subsidy where the future generations have to pay a tab currently being run up by people getting Medicare. I know people don't like to hear that, but that's true. That's why you pay you take out twice what the average person, I should say, takes out of Medicare twice what they pay into it. It's also why we have now a twenty five trillion dollar debt. I mean, I'm sure with it. I got to check what the what the debt is right now. Uh, But you see, all of these are just ways of moving around money that comes from the taxpayer and not actually dealing with the real challenge here, the real issue, which is that unless you have real competition, oh, I'm sorry, $27 trillion. That's right. We've got the three tri- $3 extra this year. It has to be factored into the spending. $82,000 per U.S. citizen right now. $217,000 per taxpayer. That's where we are. The music's going to stop and there aren't going to be enough chairs, but uh, we'll have that conversation another day. No one really cares to hear that stuff anymore. So we'll just we'll just wait till the currency is worthless. Hey, then we'll figure it out. Good, good stuff. So the public option will create just like Obamacare was the beginning of the push for Medicare for all. The public option becomes a push for single payer because you'll see people will say, OK, why wouldn't everybody just want to take the public option health care plan? Well, because there are going to be all kinds of restrictions on it. Otherwise, it's very, very expensive, right? So they're going to put all these restrictions, which means that you're not going to have great doctor networks and people aren't really going to like the plan. It's not going to cover that much. And remember, health insurance isn't really insurance as we have it. It's subsidies. It's all these cross subsidies. You don't have a health insurance so that if you have a heart attack and you have to have a stent put in all this stuff, you know, you don't get a $300,000 bill. That's part of it. But for most people, health insurance is okay. I'm going to go to, uh, you know, I'm going to go to my ENT doc and I want to pay $20 or I want to pay $50 copay and that's it. Okay. Well, the doc is charging your health insurer three, four, five hundred bucks. So these are all just machines for redistributing money to people. And there's a lot of politics involved in all this. You create a public option. And what happens is that the public option, uh, people get put onto it. And then there's all this political pressure. Uh, for the public option, get more and more subsidies so that the plan can be better and better for the people who are on it. And eventually you'll just start to say, "Okay, well, why should a why should a uh, private insurer or rather, why should a private business insure its employees? Just go just go get the public option. And the public option is not that good. But now you have more and more people on it. So what do they do? They use their power at the ballot box to start saying, yeah, but we're going to take more of your money to make this a better option for us. Then private insurers start to say, we can't compete with this. This is crazy. And yes, then you get to single payer. And that's how it works. The same way we told you that Obamacare was going to be a stepping stone to Medicare for all, which we all know now is true. Oh, and that they were planning all along on giving Obamacare to illegal aliens. Remember at the, on the debate stage or the Democrat primary, all those hands went up. Turned out we were right about that. I'm telling you right now, a public option. It is feasible to work at a public option where this wouldn't be the case. But why would Democrats want to do that? 
Because that would require telling people who have the public option, sorry, this is the best you can get, right? And this is the best you're going to get. This is the best we can do while being fiscally responsible. Democrats aren't going to say that. They're going to say, oh, you're right. We got to cover everything. We got to cover your yoga lessons, too. So let's just jack up property taxes on people. It's the way it's going to work, folks. Then there's immigration. Uh, And this was interesting as well because it showed, one, that Joe Biden continues to repeat the original lies around the asylum at the border issue. Now, I I went to the border multiple times, as you know, if you've been listening to me for a while, to spend time doing ride-alongs with Border Patrol, meeting with CBP, talking to people at the top level. We've had we've had ICE and CBP and DHS chiefs on this show many times. It's a really important issue, and it's one that I find uh, critical to the future of the country. And and I just also think it's intellectually and, and politically fascinating. And here's the short version, in case you've forgotten. The asylum waves that were hitting the country about two years, you know, a little over two years ago now, um, th- that was largely based on a loophole that had to do with people claiming that they were fleeing violence when really they were just fleeing a country with a crappy economy where they didn't want to still be. And they realized that if they came with a child, then they would go into a different part of the system and would immediately be released in the United States. And what people like me were saying at the time was they're not going to show up for their hearings. And this became the big debate. And all the libs disingenuously, I think many of them kind of knew they were you know, laughing behind closed doors. They're saying this. Oh, no, they'll all show up for their hearings. Why? Why show up for a hearing when then you're running the risk of being denied asylum when you've already been released into the United States? And there's you're a very low, especially if you're a mother with a child, you're a very low uh, deportation priority. So you're good. So it was just an open door for people to come into the country. And that's why you had, as I remember, Border Patrol told me a 34 year old pretending that he was 17 because it also was a different program for minors. So there were all these scams and the cartels were making hundreds of millions of dollars helping people with these scams. And they were doing this through uh, through individuals referred to as coyotes who are the human traffickers in this whole process. And the different plazas, which is what the cartels call the areas along the southern border where they control and they break them up. And it's it's their turf. Right. That's they make the money for people to come to the border there. And uh, the cartels would use these coyotes. A lot of money going through people's hands. It was fascinating last night to see just how many dumbass blue checks think that coyote is a disparaging term for immigrants who are coming to the border. They were, and these are people, I mean, what's the guy who went to, uh, I think he's a Harvard student now, David Hogg, the, the guy who became the anti-gun activist. When, but he was 17, so you couldn't criticize him. And he would go around calling people blood-soaked terrorists. But if you said anything, then they need to boycott. You're attacking children. Notice how the libs love to do this. They did this with Greta Thunberg. Yeah, let's have a, a very odd 16-year-old lecturing us now she's 18 so game on right we can fight we can argue she's an adult right is that are those the rules or no we can you criticize people when they're 18 they have to be 21 i just want to know they want people to be able to vote libs want to be people to be able to vote at 16 but i guess you can't criticize their politics until they're 18 24 28 i don't know you can be on your parents insurance until you're 26 with obamacare right so maybe that's the new rule i'm not sure of course, the rule changes depending on what Democrats need in the moment. But that guy, Hogg, uh, who's just ugh, 
he, he had this whole thing about how coyotes was an e- e- a terrible thing to say about people bringing their children to the border. It's like the coyotes are the cartel employees doing the human trafficking. You utter morons. Blue checks all over the Internet last night. Coyote. Oh, my gosh. Coyote is like a it's like a racially disparaging term. To No, no, no. This is the term everybody uses for human traffickers, which is a criminal act. And these are the kind of human traffickers when they work for the cartels who, you know, they'll leave people in a really dangerous situation. They'll leave people to die out in the desert if they can't keep up. Right. I mean, that's what happens. It's not good people. The coyotes are bad guys. But just as when Trump calls MS-13 animals, you know, they say, oh, my gosh. You mean those gang members who, you know, rape and mutilate and murder people for sport? Trump called them animals. How dare he? The libs don't care. Whatever works for them, whatever works to uh, to attack the president in the moment. Um, But there was there was something worthwhile about this this uh, exchange on immigration last night, because Biden said path path to citizenship. It's amnesty, folks. He's telling you it's amnesty. This is the biggest single thing the Democrats are going to try to accomplish. It is the top priority for them. They want amnesty. Absolutely. They want amnesty for illegals in this country. Because that that's when we'll also find out, oh, my gosh, suddenly it'll be, oh, we had no idea. We said it was eleven point seven million people in the country legally. Turns out it's more like 20 to 25. Oh, yeah. Get ready for that, too. Um, but they oh, yeah, the, the government that <laughs> the government that has the geniuses at the FBI who thought that Carter Page was a Russian spy and set up a FISA on him. That government really knows how many illegals have come into the country over the last 20 years, right? Sure. Sure they do. That's why they fight at every turn trying to trying to count uh, count the illegals properly. They they don't want that to be known. You would think they would want it to be known, but no. They don't like that data to be kept. So amnesty is for real, and then there was the kids in cages line, which the Democrats love to bring this up. Well, Trump had something to say about that. Uh, play clip 9. These 500 plus kids came with parents. They separated them at the border to make it a disincentive to come to begin with. They real tough. We're really strong. And guess what? They cannot. It's not coyotes didn't bring them over. Their parents were with them. They got separated from their parents. And it makes us a laughing stock and violates every notion of who we are as a nation. Let me ask you a follow-up question. They did it. We changed the policy. Your response they to did that? It. We, we changed. did not. They built the cages. The, they, who, who built the cages, let's, Joe? Let's talk about what who we're talking about. Who built the cages, Let's Joe. talk about what we're talking about. What happened? Parents were ripped. Their kids were ripped from their arms and separated. And now they cannot find over 500 sets of those parents. And those kids are alone. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. It's criminal. Who built the cages? If you want to know, the Obama administration built the cages and they're really just fenced in areas. And I've seen those. I've been to those fenced in areas. I've seen those fenced in areas. And they are also uh, temporary holding facilities where people usually would be processed within 24 hours. They were they are depressing. They are not nice. I'm not I'm not negating that in any way. But people tended to be in them for a day, maybe two. And then they were released into the interior of the United States after being processed by ice that's what was happening the whole thing was a scam by the way these people were not fleeing violence they were being trained by the coyotes who were bringing them to the border biden doesn't know what the heck he's talking about but it doesn't matter 
People just want to hear what they want to hear, especially Democrats. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, first of all, I'm jealous. <laughs> I would have liked to have <laughs> been able to moderate that debate and to get uh, a real exchange of views instead of uh, uh, hundreds of interruptions. Uh, I thought it was a good debate, a good substantive debate, two very competing uh, visions for the country. I thought that uh, Biden uh, had many more specific plans, whether it came to how to handle uh, COVID, whether it came to how to handle climate change, whether it came to how to handle health care. Yeah, Chris Wallace is a Democrat, obviously. So, of course, he cares about the specifics of how to handle climate change. The reality of how to handle climate change is to go about your life and stop worrying about something that's not a problem. Our technology is naturally decarbonizing. It has been for as long as we have been using uh, fuel on an industrial level. And that is the reality. And that has happened because of efficiency and because of technology, not because of government mandates. But uh, Chris Wallace's point here about how it was a pretty good debate. Yeah, it was it was pretty substantive. I mean, I, I think in some ways it was a little bit on the more boring side. I, I found uh, the moderator OK for a bit. And then I thought it went off the rails a little But It was um, it was not awful. I will say that it was certainly better than Chris Wallace. So there's that part of it. Oh, wait, I was speaking of uh, libs who freak out about climate change. Uh, play 22. Here's a uh, former presidential candidate, Pete Buttigieg. And then he makes really strange remarks like windmills killing all the birds uh, and, and something about windows that I don't even understand uh, that show that, that uh, he is literally incapable of even grasping the nature of the problem and therefore will never be able to serve up a solution. And remember, there's, there's no do-over on climate. Uh, we're, we're literally entering the event horizon. We've got a matter of just a few short years before some of these things become irreversible. And what, what I love about Joe Biden's uh, way of talking about about the climate is he makes clear that this is not a choice between doing what's right uh, for the climate and doing re- what's right for the economy. The only way to have an economy continue to grow is to have a, a, an economy uh, wired up to the benefits of uh, the many transitions and improvements we've got to make. If there was money to be made with all this green stuff in the market, people would be doing it. What they're talking about is government control and subsidy for really what is a, a left wing hobby horse which is this climate change uh, lunacy. And let me just also say this, uh, oh, so smart, ha-ha, what was he talking about? It is, in fact, the case that wind farms are like Cuisinart's for migratory birds. That's a fact. Hundreds of thousands of birds a year. Now, you could say this doesn't matter, but don't laugh at Trump about this. This is true. You can you know, look at the, the photos, the carcasses, including endangered species, including... Uh, large uh, threatened raptors killed by wind turbines all the time, all across the country. Doesn't it make sense? It's a giant fan in the air. Birds die by the hundreds of thousands, according to the Audubon Society. You, you go, go read on the left-wing sites. It's actually true. But they, ha, 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 let's laugh at Trump. Yeah, they laugh at him out of their own ignorance. That's true of so many things. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lieutenant Bobolinsky, Hunter Biden, the corruption, the mess, all of it from yesterday. We've got to talk about this, my friends. First, before we discuss what happened in the debate with regard to the Hunter Biden emails, 
Let's talk about the press conference that was held right before by uh, Tony Bobolinsky. I'm just going to say this. It is a fun name to say. Tony Bobolinsky. Here's what he said. Play one. On May 2nd, 2017, the night before Joe Biden was to appear at the Milken Conference, I was introduced to Joe Biden by Jim Biden and Hunter Biden. At, and at my approximately hour-long meeting with Joe that night, we discussed the Biden's history, the Biden's family business plans with the Chinese, with which he was plainly familiar, at least at a high level. This is now somebody who's an eyewitness, who has the receipts, the documents to back this up, who's apparently even shared them now with the FBI, who is telling you that Biden, Joe Biden, was fully aware, uh, fully aware of the business dealings of Hunter Biden. Now, this is an important development because all along we were led to believe that Hunter Biden's a ne'er-do-well and it's not Joe Biden's fault that his son, who is struggling with drug addiction and all kinds of other you know, issues, uh, was trying to make some money off of the VP dad. And maybe Biden didn't really know and then you can't really blame him. And that, that was the story we were told. That story is no longer really credible. People would have a hard time, I think, now making a, a real case about that being a, a believable line. But Democrats don't care about what is believable. They, they care about what will work. Right. And this led up to a, a moment last night where or I should say this led to expectations for last night where people were thinking, oh, my gosh, Trump is going during this uh, face off in the final debate. Trump is going to find a way to corner Biden on this issue. And they will have a real a real throwdown over what happened with Hunter's laptop. Uh, here's here's, for example, the uh, here's Trump saying that this is a uh, an issue and that Joe Biden then pushed it aside and acted like it was nothing. Play play five. This isn't about the re there's a reason why he's bringing up all this malarkey. There's a reason for it. He doesn't want to talk about the, the, the substance of issues. It's not about his family and my family. It's about your family. And your family's hurting badly. If you're making less than, if you're a middle class family, you're getting hurt badly right now. You're sitting at the kitchen table this morning deciding, well, we can't get new tires, they're bald because we have to wait another month or so. Or are we going to be able to pay the mortgage? Or who's going to tell her she can't go back to, to community college? They're the decisions you're making in the middle class families like I grew up in Scranton and Claymont. They're in trouble. We should be talking about your families, but that's the last thing he wants to talk about. I want, to, is a I want to talk about North Korea. Me, I do want to second, turn to please. 10 seconds, Mr. President. That's 10 a typical seconds. political statement. Let's get off this China thing. And then he looks the family around the table, everything. Just right. a typical politician. When I see that, let's talk I'm about not North a typical Korea politician. Okay, That's President. why I got elected. That let's was, talk. Let's about get off the subject of China. Let's talk around sitting around the table. All right. Come on, Joe, you can we're, do better. We're... <laughs> that was honestly my favorite, probably my favorite moment of the whole night i thought that was uh, that was a particularly strong response from the president because it was so cheesy this is not about my family he stares right in the camera with his, his sort of joe biden look this is about your family oh thanks joe thanks in case we weren't aware of that it's about our family really you care so much it's about people who can't buy the new tires and sure sure Joe Biden doesn't worry about buying new tires because Joe Biden's worth about uh, 10 or 15 million bucks. So that we know about that's not stashed in a uh, 
Cayman or Swiss bank account, courtesy of one of those LLCs from Hunter. Are we ever going to find out about that in time? No, unfortunately, we're not. Uh, but that was a classic Joe Biden moment. You know, just just dodge the question and immediately jump into this. Honestly, just this nonsense about, you know, oh, that's your, you know, that's about your family. Sure it is, Joe. Sure it is. Uh and then Biden, uh, Biden continued on to say that the Hunter stuff is all a lie and nobody believes it. Play six. Joe, they're calling you a corrupt politician. Nobody. Hey, President Trump, I want to stay hell. on the issue of race. We're Take talking about the, the issue from hell. President Trump, we're talking about race right now, and I do want to stay on the issue of race. President Trump, you I have to respond to that. Please. Because look, Very there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is has all the care Four, five former heads of the CIA. Both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the, his and his good friend, Rudy Gianni. You mean the laptop is now another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? And that's exactly it. what is this that's where exactly you're going? What this is told. where he's going. The laptop that, right. is Russia, yes. Russia, Russia. I want to stay on the issue of race. You okay? have to be kidding. Here Mr. we go President? again with Russia. Now, this is where I found the, the moderator annoying. Why do we have to stay on the top? You know, they're, they're having an exchange. Let them finish the exchange. Be quiet. This is the president and the would-be president on an issue that matters. And the whole thing, does anyone even remember what they said about race? I mean, oh, the journalists have to always ask questions about climate change and race, as if this is the obsession of all Americans. No, this is the obsession of a small segment of the left wing of the Democrat Party that happens to work in the news media. Everyone else is like, uh, how do I get a job? How do I keep the job? How do I keep my money? How do I not have to go fight or send my children to fight in a war that doesn't make sense like this is what normal people think about but no no the journos have have other thoughts in mind for us but let's not forget joe biden here is just lying about the russia thing i mean he's being asked are you saying this is a russian disinformation this is a russian hoax he's saying yes that's absurd friends i mean this is uh, i mean come on right i mean they're really that's the claim and somehow it didn't you know this it just you could feel that there was no Ah, uh, this was a this was a, a blow that did not land. And I don't really understand why. Um, and, and I've been worried all along. I've been telling people this, you know, this Hunter Biden stuff, this belief that Hunter Biden was going to bring down the campaign, I think is overblown. Um, and I think that those it's a little it reminds me a little Benghazi, a little of the a little bit of the Durham probe and all that stuff. It just wasn't. Not enough people care. Not enough people care. And and that's why Joe Biden felt free to just tell, uh, I mean, just a whopper. I mean, that's so it's Russian disinformation. It's your son's laptop. And that was where I think the president could have said, is that your are you denying that is your son's laptop and really get that answer so that it's clear and everyone can hear it. But Biden did something here. It was really noteworthy. He said that's what on the Russia issue he's saying other people who are oh so smart and you should all trust these 50 individuals from the intel community. They all want to work in a Biden administration, my friends, as I've been telling you all along. These are the former CIA director wants to be this or the former deputy director wants to be the director under a Biden administration. Right? The former chief of uh, 
whatever at NSA wants to move up to a White House, you know, counterterrorism czar role or something. I mean, this is the way the national security apparatus works. That's how you get the job. You don't get the job by being the best. What does the best even mean? You just show up and do the same crap everybody else is doing. You get the you get the job by stepping up in the media and being a good little lackey for the candidate who wins. That's how you get the job. So Biden, though, kept putting it off on on other. It was other individuals, other people who made the claim. And I think that's interesting because then he did something else when he was pressed on. um, Well, first, Trump continued to try to press him on where the money comes from for these deals and everything else. Play 14. I don't make money from China. You do. I don't make money from Ukraine. You do. I don't make money from Russia. You made three and a half million dollars, Joe. And your son gave you. They even have a statement that we have to give 10 percent to the big man. You're the big man, I think. I don't know. Maybe you're not. But you're the big man, I think. Your son said we have to give 10 percent to the big man. Joe, what's that all about? It's terrible. So. President Donald Trump accused Joe Biden of taking three point five million dollars from Russia. Um, Trump is referring to a deal released. This is according to Forbes discussed in a Senate Republican uh, report. Right. That claims that Elena Baterina or something, the uh, former mayor of Moscow's wife. Yeah, Baterina. That. There was a investment firm co-founded by Hunter Biden in 2014. Rosemont Seneca received three point five million dollars. So why would we not believe that that happened, given all the other stuff we've seen? We know that Hunter was getting paid 50K or 80K or whatever it was a month by the Burisma board. Why wouldn't he be getting paid money by the mayor of Moscow's uh, wife to his consulting firm? That's completely credible. They keep saying this is not true. They don't know that it's not true. They're just saying, well, we haven't seen the smoking gun evidence of this yet, but it seems entirely true. It seems entirely credible. And then that brings me to um, what I thought was a much more telling moment than many of the media picked up on. When, When Biden was asked specifically about taking foreign money, here was his answer. Play 18. I have not taken a penny from any foreign source ever in my life. We learned that this president paid 50 times the tax in China, has a secret bank account with China, does business in China, and in fact is talking about me taking money. I have not taken a single penny from any country whatsoever, ever, number one. Number two, this is a president. I have released all of my tax returns. 22 years. Go look at them. 22 years of my tax return. You have not released a single solitary year of your tax return. What are you hiding? Why are you unwilling? The foreign countries are paying you a lot. Russia's paying you a lot. China's paying you a lot. And your hotels and all your businesses all around the country, all around the world. And China's building a new road to a new ga- a, a, a golf course you have overseas. So what's going on here? Why don't release your tax return or stop talking about corruption? So I know there's a lot of stuff there. And you know, it's a classic Biden answer, kind of rambly nonsense. But uh, let's remember, he said that he has not taken any money from a foreign government. But that's not the allegation. I mean, the real allegation is that the money goes to Hunter Biden. And that's proven now. We know that happened. 
And then the question is, was that money in any way siphoned to Joe Biden? Now, I can tell you there are a lot of ways. There are a lot of ways where if you have somebody who has a a pretty decent understanding of the financial system, money like that can be hidden and money can be transferred from one person to another, especially in a family context. So it wouldn't necessarily show up on his tax returns at all. So, you know, if you've got a bank account that you're not declaring on uh, on on your financial disclosures or you've got a bank account that's a U.S. based one through an LLC that you're not declaring on your on your, uh, you know, income tax statement. There, there are ways that this money could be out there in, you know, Joe Biden's grasp, but that it doesn't necessarily get tagged to him. That's and we already know there is a possible money laundering investigation tied to Hunter Biden. And let's just also remember why then the talk in the emails, which was recklessly stupid to put this in emails, is remember that about giving 10 percent to the big guy. Does anybody think that's not Joe Biden? I'd love to hear that explanation. We know Hunter was doing these deals. He's already said he was. We know Hunter was making a ton of money. He's already said he was. We know it's Hunter's laptop proven done. We know we've seen the photos and we don't have to get into that. So why is it not believable that at least Hunter was trying to get some money for his dad through these things, through these uh, these schemes. Uh, They don't have an answer for that, folks. And I think Joe Biden was very careful with his wording there on purpose. I have never taken money from them. Has he taken money from his son after it's been given to his son for consulting? That's the answer we really need. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Yag Shamash, I here to defend America's mayor, Rudolph Giuliani. What was an innocent, sexy time encounter between a consenting man and my 15-year-old daughter have been turned into something disgusting by fake news media? I warn you. Anyone else try this, and Rudolph will not hesitate to reach into his legal briefs and whip out his subpoenas. Chenkui. Okay, so that's the latest from Sasha Baron Cohen as his Borat character, and this has led to a lot of media stuff uh, about, you know, a lot of media stuff about how (laughs) Rudy Giuliani was, quote, um, you know, touching himself or something in this interview. I've, saw, I've seen the video. It's a lie. He was just tucking in his shirt. They, he took a microphone out. And yes, an attractive blonde woman who was in her mid-20s, okay? This, I, the, the part of this that I really object to is, I know they're going to say it's a joke, but it's really not funny to make a joke about, even in this context, about how he was with a 15-year-old. That's, that's not funny. Um, and, and I don't think it's meant to be. I think it's meant to be uh, a kind of veiled smear. Because people will hear that and think that Rudy Giuliani must have thought she was 15. This woman's like 26 and an actress and, you know, is an attractive woman. Absolutely not in any way. No, no person on planet. She is not underage and no person on Earth would look at her and think she was underage. Certainly not 15 years old. And, uh, you know, it's a smear, folks. It's just a smear. And it's a shame. I actually used to think Borak could be kind of funny sometimes. It was always a little bit a little bit uh, sophomoric humor. But. You know, uh, th- this is this is now what you have to do if you're going to be in Hollywood and you're going to be considered somebody who is, you know, hip culturally and everything else. Um, you watch the video of Giuliani. He didn't do anything. And I also think it's funny that the left, which is all about 
really making, you know, sexual relations between men and women, you know, the equivalent of like a handshake. I mean, it's just not a big deal. So what, what's the allegation that that a woman posing as a, an attractive, you know, age appropriate female journalist was maybe trying to seduce Rudy Giuliani, who's unmarried, he's single. I, you know, I, I just but, but this is supposed to be a big deal. And they set up a hidden camera. I, I think this whole thing was really gross. And I think it was really not funny. I think it was a political hit. I, I think it was done in bad faith. It wasn't amusing. And uh, I think Sasha Baron Cohen is a punk. That's what I think. So I know uh, people used to find that, you know, Borat, my name is Borat, and all that stuff so funny. And I was one of them. But, you know, another, another one, uh, just kind of like the old Stephen Colbert. I'd watch that show. Can't watch him anymore. Same thing now with Borat. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Friday with friends, everyone. We got some folks joining in to talk to us, including our buddy Will Riccardella. He is at the Washington Examiner inside the Beltway, inside the swamp. He's got thoughts on many things. Will, great to have you. Yeah, thanks for being. Thanks for having me back. So tell me this, man. How do you think it went for the Trumpster last night? I I, th- I thought clear victory, but give us a little bit of does it you know wh- where it matters if it matters. No, look, I, I think Trump did a good job. Uh, you know, it, it's a different dynamic this time around. He's, you know, he's on the defensive. He's not going after Hillary Clinton, right? So the debates are completely, completely different. He's not on the offensive against Hillary. He's on the defensive against Joe Biden. He did. He scored points on climate change where you otherwise think he wouldn't. He hit on immigration. He was cool. He was collected. He got some zingers in there, in particular after Biden's line about his family. It's not about my family, your family, it's it, or my family, it's your family. And, you know, Donald Trump said, look, you want to move away from China. That was a big hit. Um, but is he as effective as he was against Hillary? No, but he's doing a good job. He's hanging. He's doing what he has to do. Now, where do you think we are in terms of the way that people are going to view the better steward of the economy? It felt like there wasn't really a lot of conversation around that during this debate you know what's going to actually happen joe biden keeps saying that with his green new energy thing you know there's an analysis 12 million jobs i mean this is just fantasy land stuff you know that's good that's actually a good point you bring up because trump always drops the ball on this if you want to talk about the economy and covid let's look at red states and how they're outperforming blue states blue states are an absolute disaster whether it's in deaths per million, whether it's in their economy and unemployment rates, red states have largely outperformed them. So it's what do Americans want? Do they want the blue state model that's devastating, destroying livelihoods, losing people in nursing homes, uh, you know, high unemployment in the Bronx? And you probably know this is a 20 percent unemployment rate. The people are going to college there and they're handing out food in their classes. That's how bad it is. But nobody seems to be talking about that. Trump should have highlighted that more. We have the Joe Biden, which is the blue state plan, which has been an awful one and ineffective, or the red state plan, which has been largely successful. So Trump really needs to start highlighting that. And we see this also with the way that the Democrats and Pelosi leading the charge, of course, are so desperate to get huge bailouts. The red states aren't saying we need the federal government to shore up all of our finances. It's California. It's New York City. It's, uh, you know, places where they run the show. Yeah. I mean, look, they've tr- look. They're just weaponizing COVID at this point. It's, it's all about politics, uh, how they're tabulating the death rates are all about politics and it's political, creating uh, financial incentives to 
you know, code, uh, COVID deaths and so on. They used to be open and honest about it at the beginning. Now you don't hear about it anymore. Um, so look, this is a political virus now. The masks have become a political symbol. There is, and I want to state this clearly, I wrote a piece on it yesterday. There is zero, zero conclusive evidence that masks do anything to stop the transmission of COVID-19. None. None. They're going off of observational studies, which are an absolute joke. And when they did those observational studies, it was a lull period. Some of it was in Europe and so on, which are now seeing spikes. So that's the problem with observational studies. No one. There is one study coming, a randomized con, uh, controlled trial uh, out of uh, Denmark. Um, they keep hiding. They keep hiding that study, it. Will. That study is supposed to be out for yep. months now. And all of a sudden, a, a real scientific study on mask usage out of Denmark, where, by the way, I think it's either Denmark or uh, we know about Sweden, obviously, but either Denmark or Holland, where they they don't uh, the public health act, uh, help, help, you know, their equivalent of Fauci has been like, nah, don't, don't wear a mask in public. Don't worry about it. So I think he knows what's in that study. Mm-hmm. So that was Denmark. And that was prior to that was like during the study was happening. They actually walked that back later um, because of the political pressure. Uh, but look, this study was conducted in April to June. It should have been out in August. It's not coming out. There are hints of the researchers saying, look, they're not they're not they don't want to discuss it. But they are saying, look, you know, this may be controversial for some. And that may be why it's not getting printed. Look, things don't get published all the time in journals. It's just like we reached out for an explanation. They told us that they're not going to talk about anything that doesn't isn't published on The Lancet or, uh, you know, all, any of the other medical journals. So that was their excuse when we reached out. So this thing has become 100% political, Buck. They put stake their futures on it. They stake blue state ba- uh, bailouts on it, and they don't want it to go anywhere. They don't want to answer for our, these draconian lockdowns with destroyed lives. It, all, it killed people, and it destroyed their livelihoods and their businesses, and that's what Americans are concerned about. You know, not uh, uh, Joe Biden looking into the camera and, t- and telling Americans how they feel. You know what I mean? That was so corny, by the way. That was one. That was a real, a real groaner of a moment last night. But he's like, hey, let me. It's not about my family. And then he sort of stares in the camera. It's about your family. <laughs> I'm glad Trump, Trump, you know, tuned him up on that one a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that was one of his hardest hits is saying, look, here you go. You do what a typical politician does. I'm not a politician. And that's what Trump has to stick to is I get things done. This is what I've done. He should reel off. This is what I've done. I've ended the crisis at the border that you and Barack Obama started. Uh, you know, you were the first ones putting them in cages. We don't do that anymore. We don't have any incentives for them to flock to the border. You called it a humanitarian crisis. I ended it. These are the things that Trump has to stick to. He's always been largely unfocused. That's his problem is he's not hitting on the facts. He's done. He has the facts on his side, but he does not. He can't readily weaponize them like, say, you know, any other politician probably could. Speaking of Will Ricardella of the Washington Examiner, by the way, I hope you uh, sent a high five for me to your colleague, uh, Susan Ferreccio, who was just fantastic when talking to Brian Stelter over from CNN about uh, the the issue of the lack of coverage of the Hunter Biden emails. So tell her that she uh, she did us. She did us proud. I played that one already on the show. But were you were you surprised that there wasn't. Um, more of a, it just it, Trump didn't really land a big one on the Hunter Biden thing last night. The moderator obviously wasn't going to try to pin Biden down on it. It felt like almost a non-issue in that debate. Yeah, look, what Trump should have done is say, are those Hunter's emails? Is that Hunter's laptop? The moderator isn't going to do it. Look, I, Kristen Volker did a good job. There's a very low bar in the media. So for the media, she did a good job. She actually asked about it. So, I mean, that's where we at, we're at today. And in the media, but Trump should have been very focused. He should have been more prepared and said, is that Hunter Biden's laptop? 
you got to nail this guy down. That could have been a winning issue right there. I think that it comes back to Trump isn't as good on the defensive as he is on the offensive. Now, he did well, and he certainly won. I think I think there's no doubt Trump won that debate, but he always misses the opportunities to land the haymakers. Ronald Reagan never had that problem. He landed the haymakers. He did with Mondale in 84, a couple of weeks before the election like Trump, and he won in a landslide. But at that time, when Mondale and, and Reagan in late October, it was neck and neck like it is now. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in these next two weeks. I know you're uh, following this very closely, the election at, at, at the Examiner, and you guys have reporters out there on the trail and in the field bringing back information in real time. What are you, what are you going to be looking for, Trump? You know, what's his, his closing argument over the next week? And if, he's, if he's doing it the right way, what does it sound like to you? Look, this election, I'm looking at these polls, and I'm looking at the IBD, IBD poll, the uh, Talfagar fellow who was in the state polls. They're eerily similar to Hillary, uh, uh, to 2016 Trump beat Hillary. Uh, they don't capture the problem is they have a hard time capturing enthusiasm. It seems they're capturing the shy vote. People don't want to admit they're going to vote for Trump. They're eerily similar, almost spot on. Um, I think enthusiasm is what closes the gap. Trump needs to travel. He needs to get out there. He needs to have rallies. He needs to go to these swing states and he needs to tell them, like I said, what he's accomplished, what he's done. He has a lot of people who have never been registered, before, who haven't voted before, come to his rallies, who were Democrats, come to his rallies. That's what people forget. A lot of these blue states, there's a lot of Democrats there that go for Trump. I mean, you know, this is how he won in 2016. He won that uh, uh, the Obama-Trump voter and th that blue-collar vote, and that's what he's going to likely win again. I think he's going to win a larger, larger portion of the black vote. He should focus more on that because Joe Biden's terribly worried about that. Um, so, look, I think if anybody's calling this race now, they're crazy. But I think it looks, I think it looks pretty good for Trump. Uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. Where do you think it comes? Where do you think it uh, comes down in Pennsylvania, man? That's the one that I'm looking at right now. And, you know, we're uh, I, Sean Parnell is a buddy of mine. He's out there fighting in that big race. They've got this three day delay because of the Supreme Court four four Supreme Court decision that then reverts down lower. And now they're going to be count. I mean, if it's if it's tight there, they're going to be counting ballots for at least a few days after the election. Have you have you been to Pennsylvania lately, Buck, like outside of Philadelphia, outside of Pittsburgh? No. Have you been? No. I've never seen anything like this. Like you go there, there's huge Trump billboards. There's people in Trump cars. They got it on their cars. They're driving around honking their horns with flags hanging off the back of their car. I, I honestly, and I've loved politics. I remember, you know, in, in elementary school arguing about George H.W. Bush in the 1992 election and so on. I, in my life, in blue collar areas where I grew up, I've never seen such enthusiasm for a candidate. Now, Philadelphia is a commie city. Pittsburgh's a commie city. That they're they're going to win that, and they have the numbers in those cities, so it will be close. But I just don't think the turnout's going to be there for 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 Joe Biden. I think if you see a large turnout, you're going to see it for Trump, and I think that's what Biden's worried about. This Hunter email story that's going to harm his turnout. It's like the perfect time and the perfect story to hurt turnout for Joe Biden. Are you a little? Uh, and we're speaking to Will Ricardello, the Washington Examiner. Will, before we let you get off to your weekend, are you a little surprised that? Do, do things maybe this is just my perception. Do things feel a little quiet to you right now for this stage of the election cycle? You know, given that we had riots and and lunatics all summer, Biden voters, of course, uh, doing all the things they were doing. It feels like uh, I, I don't know, like either we're waiting to get hit with something or maybe people are just a little bit tired of it. I don't know. I absolutely feel that. I think what you're feeling is a big shift in momentum. 
We've had riots, uh, um, you know, Joe Biden making claims about Trump and COVID and the masks and, and, you know, then Trump contracted COVID. It had to be his fault. You know, Trump survives. Everybody's shocked. You have their narratives constantly collapsing. And that's what you see. This is the wreckage of their narratives that aren't working. It's not sticking much like in 2016. So what you're seeing is, is this huge change in momentum with the nadir being the, the, the uh, debate last night. They're reorganizing. They don't know what to do right now, uh, the Democrats. You know, Trump has to hit the road, keep that momentum going. If he does that, he'll win. If he comes, if he has a bad gaffe, you know what I mean? Or if something else comes out where, you know, Trump has a misstep, it will hurt him pretty badly. But, you know, this is teetering on the edge here. But if he keeps that momentum going, stays on message, it's very good for Donald Trump and it's bad for Joe Biden. Look, Joe Biden can still win this thing, no doubt. But, you know, Trump has no momentum on his side. Will Ricardella of the Washington Examiner will... My friend, have a great weekend. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Friday with Friends continues. We've got Tiana Lowe, also from the Washington Examiner, joining us right now. Going to ask her some questions about some possible surprises in this upcoming Election Day vote uh, from different groups. Tina, good to have you back. Good to be here, Buck. So I'm going to guess because you seem like somebody that that prizes uh, decorum and a, a, a more a more delicate uh, approach in debates. I'm guessing you like this debate more than the rock'em sock'em, you know, salt the earth with their bones first debate with Trump. Oh, absolutely. And Trump finally let Biden talk all over himself, which is what he really needed to do in the first debate instead of filibustering him out of it. You know, it is true that Biden is not terribly with it. But that doesn't really come across when you don't let him get a word out. And this time he did. So So there's a lot of focus now on what could be some of the difference makers on Election Day. We've had I don't even know what the latest count is. I know it was over 30 million early votes. Uh, we're, we're, so we're at tens of millions of votes already cast. But we got Election Day just coming up here in a little bit. And people are looking at a few different groups. And what I wanted to ask you about is uh, the, the possibility, as you're looking at the polls, of a surprise in favor of Trump from Latino and black voters. Yes, it is quite interesting that this election will wind up being much more polarized along the lines of gender than of race in comparison to 2016. Biden is doing better than Hillary Clinton. You know, the first major party nominee um, was a woman. Um, but... Yeah, you know, the Trump campaign really has made uh, inroads with with young Latino men and young black men. Um, you know, older black men are probably still going to go for Biden, but they've done a lot of outreach. Um, you're seeing this heavily in Florida, uh, where this is the case. And, that's, and, and if Trump winds up winning Arizona, it will likely be young Latinos who save him. Absolutely. Uh, that would be quite a difference maker down there. And what are we thinking about with the uh, with the youth vote? Because this is always talked about as the difference maker for Democrats. From what I understand so far, it's looking like it does in every other election cycle where the media tells you all oh, the youth will come out for the Democrat. And it's like, well, they also want to play PlayStation. Yeah. And also, if the youth vote were really going to have this unprecedented turnout, then why didn't Bernie Sanders win? We all saw what the polling said before they all went to go vote, but they just didn't materialize for him. Older voters still will. And that's a little bit concerning for Trump because Biden is polling well, better with seniors than Hillary did. However, 
Trump's red is really buttered by Gen X and sort of the middle-aged vote, and they also turn out in fairly high numbers. Young voters, I just don't know if they're going to show up for the 77-year-old white guy. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, somehow, uh, Bernie Sanders was the guy that had so much of the enthusiasm from the, the 20 to 25 crowd, from what, we, what we'd all see. And then, and just be, uh, to, to throw this in the mix, too, um, it, it's a little bit of a throwback to when we were looking at the midterms and what was the difference maker there. But the, I think the, the demo that we were supposed to be so focused in on is the uh, suburban uh, women, college-educated women, right? Wasn't that the one that the... How are we looking for that for Trump this time? So... You know, obviously, Republicans lost a lot in the House in 2018 because, yeah, the suburban mother vote did turn out. But mind you, they turned out for extremely centrist, moderate Democrats. Last night, Biden committed to to shutting down the oil industry in due time. You had Democrats, Democrats in the House coming out at least one on the debate night to condemn that and to say that, no, actually, we do need the oil industry. Um, so I, I, this is not going to be 2018 because Biden may be a moderate, but the rest of his party is not. And I don't think that, I mean, who's on his climate change panel? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She won't even allow nuclear or any, or any market-oriented form of clean energy. So, you know, in the final stretch, Trump needs to make this about Biden. Not about Hunter Biden, about Joe Biden letting the radical Dems define his policy. And that will eventually bring suburban women home. Well, we got about a minute left here. Who's going to win and what's going to be the after action thesis about why that side won? Who's going to win? I mean, I don't think anyone can say it because it's impossible to know how COVID will affect all of this. We really don't know if there are cases of shy Trump voters in the polling, but I'll put it to you this way. If Trump is able to keep Florida, if Trump is able to keep Pennsylvania and he doesn't lose any of those like mostly reddish but somewhat purpling states like, I don't know, Ohio, North Carolina, it's possible we get a map that's very similar to Hillary Clinton's. That being said, Biden has had a much more stable lead. And if Biden wins, everyone's going to have the wrong takeaway from this. Biden ran as the most moderate, the most safe candidate in the Democratic primary and won resoundingly. That does not give him a mandate to govern like AOC. That gives him the mandate to govern like a 2014 Joe Biden. Yes. Until, until they get rid of the filibuster and do an amnesty. But we'll have to take care of that another time. Tina Lowe, everybody at the Washington Examiner. Have a great weekend, Tina. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to email. Instagram Buck Sexton and um, Parlor Buck Sexton. Those of you who are on Parlor, I, uh, but, but don't, I don't think I can do. I don't, do we have DM on Parlor? I've never even tried. Uh, don't send messages there. It doesn't work very well. Yeah, no, don't do that. That's too much. 
Um, but yeah, you can follow me on Parlor. So that's a good thing to do because we post there as well. And uh, also, uh, what's our Rumble account, producer Mark? How do people follow us there? Uh, you can just go to rumble.com and search the Buck Sexton Show. I think we're a featured page. There we go. Fantastic. All right, let's get to this action. Jim writes, uh, Hey, Buck and Mark, I listen to Wednesday's show and completely agree with you what would happen if the Dems control all three branches of government. No filibuster, packed court, new states, mass amnesty, etc. What I don't hear anyone talking about is that they would also control the awesome power of our federal law enforcement and intelligence apparatus. That's what scares the crap out of me. Look what they did the last time they controlled them. They spied on and tried to imprison the opposition candidate and then president. What wouldn't they be willing to do this time around, especially because they know the press won't even investigate it and would probably help cover it up? Shields high, fellow patriots. Uh, You know, Jim, I am concerned that there will be reprisals against the most stalwart voices in support of Donald Trump if, in fact, Biden wins this election. And they won't make it that obvious at first. They'll build to it over time. But, uh, yeah, there are people that are going to want payback. I mean, just look at what Comey and Strzok and Page and all the all the rest of that crew and, and Brennan and Clapper. Look at what they did. They felt like their their privileges and their positions were threatened. And they weaponized the federal government and the intelligence apparatus and federal law enforcement against the president of the United States. That's pretty terrifying. And they did it. And they got away with it, too. I mean, some of them got fired. I know uh, Strzok got fired, although now he's teaching at Georgetown. What do I always tell you? The left takes care of its ideological, you know, assassins. Always. On the right, you know, if you get... You get into trouble like you get fired from uh, from Fox News or something because you, you know, cross the line in a, in a debate or whatever. You're you're just done. Usually. I mean, that's it. You know, there's this. But on the left, there's always I mean, it's not even just in media. Oh, you'll get a board seat on a company or you'll be a consultant for Netflix or you'll get, you know, a three million dollar book deal for your life rights or whatever. That's that's very power. The same way they control institutions. They also have a pathway it's it's like the mafia guys that would always pay the family of the guy who was sitting in prison who didn't talk. You know, the left will do that for you. The left is like the mafia that way. If you if you go to prison, and you don't talk. Now, if you betray them, obviously, they're also like the mafia. But if you if you go down fighting and you don't turn and become a right winger, or you don't uh, come forward and and hurt their cause. They'll take care of you. They'll take care of you. And, and I'm, I'm honestly jealous I'm jealous of that on the left. I wish that we had more of that on the right. But instead, no, we have we have a lot of people on the right who spend all their time instead of trying to expand what ideological territory and platforms we control. They just want to go around the pool and push all the other kids under the water. That's the it's a little we're in the kiddie pool. The left is in the big, beautiful, you know, salt water pool with the gunite and the big, you know, we're in the little kiddie pool that's too warm because of, you know, you know what's happening there. And we got people who are the biggest kids in the kiddie pool running around pushing people underwater and oh, no. And, you know, no, com- no competition. No. Ex- so it's a it's a disaster if it's really about what's going to help the country of the long term and make this place continue to be the freest, best hope for all all humanity. I know that maybe sounds a little bit corny, but I, I think it's important. I think it's true. You know, the left, they're out there with, you know, they're all sunning themselves and they know they're good. 
You know, they know that they they got a big, big, beautiful pool to swim in bigly. Maybe I should, I'll, I'll probably share that Twitter thread that I the one that Rush read. I'll share that again out now because I think it's more important than ever. We're seeing this with the media. They did suppress the story. It didn't totally work, but we couldn't do that. Could you imagine? Can you imagine Donald Trump Jr. found with a, a, you know, with a laptop of his found with photos of him smoking crack or something and all the stuff. And and the right would be like, nope, sorry. Story shut down. We would never dream of having that kind of power, but. The left has it. Uh, so, yes, Jim, back to your initial thought. Uh, I do believe that there will be, unfortunately, payback if Biden wins. And it's not going to be fun. There's going to be a purge in media. Um, they're going to try to deplatform really aggressively. Uh, they're going to investigate people. They're going to investigate more Trump associates. They'll do all that stuff. We, the right, the conservative portion of the country always goes, well, you know, we don't want to. You know, we're not really going to prosecute Hillary after the election for the emails, even though we could, because you know, we want to keep the country feeling like it's you know, still somehow united and whatever. The left is like, yeah, whatever. We're going to just completely we are going to go around after we've won the battle and bayonet the survivors. That's their attitude. I know it's not not a warm and fuzzy thing to say, but that's where we are. Jeff Shields higher than ever, Buck. Been a silent listener, but when you mentioned Hannibal and the Battle of Kenney, I had to speak up. I can't wait for that podcast. By the way, your Dr. Fauci impression is the best. Keep up the good work, and thank you. I really do think Trump will win, but if not, don't give up. You are the best. No, Jeff, you are the best. Even without mitigation, wear your mask. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it, and uh, it's great for you. Uh, great to have you, rather, to uh, write in. And, and yeah, we're working on this now. I mean, now that producer Mark adequately shamed me for not keeping up on my promise to give you guys. Now we're doing a whole series. We're going to do at least six of them. Um, and I'm, I'm now committing to this professionally. Um, and I'm going to leave it to all of you to share these things. These are not there's not going to be political podcasts. They're going to be straight up good, fascinating history podcasts, conversational tone. I'm not, I'm not scripting them out anymore. So I'm just going to sit and talk to you about this stuff. Uh, factually accurate, but, uh, you know, it's not going to be. As the, you know, that that was something that I, I struggled with in the earlier days. Should it be more theatrical with more sound effects or whatever? Some of you really like that. And the old Lepanto podcast had that uh, for the Battle of Lepanto, which I'm going to redo now in this new format. Um, but I think a lot of you just wanted some just wanted to hear good, good history stories. And that's what we're going to be. I'm just going to be telling you good history stories because um, I look, I love it. I mean, I this is what I do in my spare time. because I obviously have a really exciting social life. What can I tell you? Uh Pablo. Hey, Buck Shields. I watched the debate tonight, thought it went well for the president. I do think if the candidates had to fill two and a half minutes a turn, Biden would have keeled over the last half hour. He was fading fast. Uh, Pablo, I also saw that Biden was losing steam. And, you know, I don't there's always been this part of me that feels like I don't like attacking Biden. And I've done it and I, I own up to it. You know, I, I'm. I don't like attacking Biden for being too, you know, I, I avoid the word. I don't use the word senile or I try to avoid using the word senile. If I've said it, I, I think that's that's you know going too far. Also, because I know how painful that is for families when people, loved ones. And I remember my great grandmother, I used to go visit her in Brooklyn and I would go see her. And I was a little kid and I didn't really understand. And she didn't remember who I was. And that was really distressing for me. I was, you know, five or six years old. Um so I understand that's a really sensitive stuff. So I don't want to be attacking a politician because they're too because we're all going there. You know, we're all going to be in this place where 
we're, we're certainly too old to be president. You know, I mean, that that's for sure. And and uh, people that are of that age, you know, late 70s into their 80s, you know, they deserve respect and they deserve, you know, celebration of their life and, you know, loved ones and family and friends around and and to have, you know, peace. And there's just, you know, and but instead we got to point out Joe Biden's too old for the job and the guy sounds like he's not all there sometimes. And, you know, we're, we're this is it's it's fair game. But I, I tell you, I do always have a little bit of a. I don't like going after that. And I've done it and I know that. But afterwards, I always go, gosh, you know, could they really, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just have, I get, I get very mixed feelings about it. Ron, Trump came off as a person with vigor and plan to move America forward. Biden, on the other hand, appeared tired and past his prime with no real plan other than old leftist platitudes. The real decision makers behind Biden are AOC plus Pelosi plus three, I'm sorry, AOC plus three, Pelosi, and other scary forces. Uh, Ron, I do think, so here's how it works. Biden will do what the Democrat Party tells him to do. I, you know, I use the word apparatus a lot for that, but the, the power centers of the Democrat Party, Biden will do what they tell him. And AOC in that group, even if they're not officially the power players in position-wise within the party, they are able to, with their demands, I mean, AOC is is essentially able to take the Democrat Party hostage just with her social media accounts and the amount of uh, of focus she can put on an issue and push it from a far left perspective. So she can pull the party left and she will. And once the party's pulled left by her, Biden's going to do what the party says. So that's how it's not necessarily AOC direct to Biden. It's going to be AOC and her ideological comrades continuing to demand the furthest left version of the Democrat Party imaginable. And then when the party, you know, when the when the Schumer's and the Pelosi's and so on are like, OK, well, we got to do this now. Biden will say, you know, sir, yes, sir. And that's what's going to end up happening. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Producer Mark, what are you up to this weekend, buddy? Uh, might, uh, I found these amazing cookie, this amazing cookie place in New Jersey. Me and the wife might go check it out. They have Nutella. Are they like like warm, warm, gooey cookies when you get them? Yeah, they have Nutella stuffed chocolate chip cookies. Oh my God. I know. And Nutella is like my favorite substance probably. Yeah, I agree. I think Nutella is something that you could put it on things that aren't technically food. And as long as they weren't dangerous, I would still eat them. Yeah, I mean, I I would lick Nutella off of right. many objects. Like, like if, yeah. if you gave me a pile of leaves in your driveway and then you just covered them in Nutella, I'd be like, that looks pretty good. I think I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. I think it was I think it was invented by an American GI in World War II who went to Italy. And that I, I'm pretty sure that's where the story comes from. You could uh, fact check me on that one, but I'm pretty sure that's so it was an American who visited there. Um, but yeah, it's he was amazing. a great man. Yeah, I think th- I, I might be mixing it up with pizza or something. Anyway, whatever. It sounded like a cool story in my head. And now I'm probably wrong on this well, one. So whoever made it, the, thank them. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll thank them. The global expert on Nutella history is going to write in because he clearly listens to this show. Because if you're a history nerd, you're going to love this show. Uh, he's going to be like, Buck, you have you have uh, slandered the history of this great substance. Um, yeah, pizza. I feel like they still don't. They still uh, have this argument as to whether it was brought back to America by GIs in World War II 
or um, or it was in a thing in Italy beforehand. I feel like it must have been a thing in Italy beforehand. Yeah, I think uh, the the Italy thing definitely is true. Yeah, the Snow Princess talks about how she likes Neapolitan pizza so much, and I, I'm just, I'm just if I find gluten free pizza, I have to be excited. Isn't Neapolitan pizza just a round pie? I think it's thinner, but I don't know. Huh. I've yeah, all, that, that's one thing on my bucket list to go to Italy and have pizza there. Oof. Italy, Italy's great country, great country to visit. All right, now I'm getting hungry again. Ron, Trump came off as a person with vigor. Oh, we already did that one. Richard, Buck, the Dems love masks. Joe Biden clutches his like a teddy bear. As you know, these disposable masks and res- respirators are made with plastic fibers that are made from oil, the same oil industry that Biden wants to end. What will the masks be made from if there is no oil? End an entire industry because it pollutes? How can this corrupt, dim-witted nincompoop be the Democrat nominee? What will the farm equipment be powered by for food? What will the tractor trailers run on to bring the goods to the stores? Construction? Backup power generation is done with diesel generators. Rolling blackouts for everyone. Buck, what will kill more seniors? Rolling blackouts or COVID? Let's compare Cuomo COVID to Newsom blackouts and see. Gas cans and shields high. Uh, Richard, you are absolutely correct about what the catastrophic consequences would be of getting rid of fossil fuels. People just think, oh, I'll drive an electric car. It's no, now, now you're spending a ton of money to, you know, to, to heat your home, to cool your home. Now every electrical device in your house, every, every appliance is going to be costing you a lot more money. All the food that you're eating will cost more money to grow and to be transported to you and to keep it cold and to keep it fresh. I mean, it's a nightmare. A nightmare. And for what? Because you really think that, like a floor, if Florida is going to be underwater in 20 years, someone needs to sell me their Palm Beach mansion right now at a 50% discount from what they paid for it, then I will believe climate change. If, if California's coast is going to be underwater in 20 years, 50 years even, I want someone to give me an, a, a really great deal on a mansion right on the beach in Malibu because right now, you know, they start at like $10 million. I just don't think it's going to happen. Mike. Hey, Buck, I had to make quick mention of your various hilarious references to Brian Stelter being pat on the head. It's comedy gold that never gets old. Keep up the laughs and voice impressions, especially my favorite, Joy Behar. And hello, Hillary. Absolute gold, my friend. Mike, thank you so much. I appreciate that. You know, Joy, I want to get Joy on the show. You know, would she come on? You think she'd come on? I don't know. You know who I think Joy would like? Producer Mark. I don't know why. I just think she'd think that producer Mark was a cutie patootie. You guys would get along. I really don't want that to happen ever. Mm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, maybe. Maybe we go back in studio. Lori writes, as always, love your show. Producer Mark has a great dry sense of humor. Well, true. Thanks, Lori. Just a quick note. Sloppy Joes are great. Coincidentally, I had a craving the other day and made them. Then I heard you trash talking them. They are a yummy comfort food. Do you know of a decent brand of gluten-free hamburger buns? In my opinion, most are crumbly and have odd texture. Lori, funny you ask. I have looked and I've tried and the gluten-free hamburger buns. You know, my brother has this company, Susie's, that makes uh, all these delicious gluten-free muffins. They're amazing. I have a, I have a Susie's donut pretty much every morning with my uh, Black Rifle coffee. And, uh, you know, his, his stuff is great, but... The uh, I've, you know, they don't make hamburger buns. The hamburger buns I've had that are gluten free are just trash, inedible, 
It's one of those things. You just can't get good gluten-free hamburger buns. They're not worth it. I, I just eat no bun now because the, the bun is never worth it when it's gluten-free. I'm jealous of all you people that get to eat your stretchy, delicious, you know, potato bun or whatever they call it. Oh, they're so good. Why don't you just all get right. your brother to uh, make some buns? I know. I got to tell them to add it. They make great chocolate chip cookies now, too, which are in Whole Foods. All right, everybody. Have a great weekend. One more week until, the, until uh, election week. Enjoy yourselves. Relax. We'll be back soon. Shields high.